The problem with the brain is that it's not binary. It's not one, zero, one, one, like your laptop. And there's a good reason for that is because it's far more complex than that. We inherently can do so many more things in far less time because of the machinery and the capacity that we have neurologically. That's beautiful. And that's what allows us as humans to continue to evolve and grow and adapt and create new companies or create new concepts or create new movements. And I think that's beautiful inherently. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Eric Reese, a co-founder of Health and Wellness at Nobody Studios. Our venture studio focused on the rapid creation of crowd-infused companies to impact the world. Over the last decade, Dr. Eric has spent his career studying, treating, and consulting individuals on how to maximize their body, brains, and in turn, their businesses. From the clinic to the boardroom, he's leveraged his deep understanding of neuroscience and behavioral psychology to help entrepreneurs maximize their business, grow, and succeed. He believes the brain is limitless, which is why his efforts at Nobody Studio are focused on maximizing human potential and improving access to global healthcare. I'm honestly so excited to be building companies with him. And as you'll hear on this show, his passion to educate the masses on the power of the brain to show that we as a society are limitless in what we can accomplish and achieve is inspiring. So let's dive in and hear what really got him sparked about building and creating these types of new companies. Curiosity has kind of gotten the better of me for better or for worse for most of my life. And it really took me down this path of looking into people and understanding psychology. And I love meeting new people. I love new experiences. Making my way into that has always been something that I've always been really heavily focused on. And it's a natural progression for me to go into medicine and then psychology and then neuroscience because they're all so entwined together. And some could argue that some are a little bit more soft and some are a little bit more hard science. But the beautiful part of that is that in between there, we have this inherent ability and this inherent kind of concept of plasticity. And and not only does this carry heavy weight with understanding the brain, looking into neuroscience and getting into rehab and understanding you know how to change beliefs and values and you know all the the whole top that kind of unwinds all of this but more importantly too just realizing that every single one of us has the capacity to change and to improve and to adapt and become more efficient at whatever task it is and this is a very different perspective than what we carried in the 60s and 70s where neuroscience had thought that once you start developing and aging growing you you're done with adolescence and puberty that you just stop growing and you're just set you're stuck with what you got yeah you're um, fixed yeah the game has changed so much. And I think that's what's beautiful apart about this whole dynamic now is that we're understanding that brains change for better and for worse. And I say that with a unique asterisk because brains can change for really good reasons and brains can change for really bad reasons. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later, but brains change. And we, this concept of neuroplasticity is the reason why you and I can have conversations and continue to learn off of each other. That's one of the reasons why you can choose to take up a new habit or start crocheting when you're in your 90s and you can get better at it. The beautiful part of that is your brain is constantly evolving and changing. And with that being said too, this carries over into business. This carries over into entrepreneurship. This carries over into getting people to understand that their actions, their habits, their their daily choices really do manifest to long-term outcomes. And this is something that I'm excited to be a part of with the studio too, is we are looking at how do we 
build big ideas and big companies and big concepts by taking small steps. And I know you know a lot about that, especially from reading your books. So we've taken these unique models and applied them and tried to just do the best that we can with what we have today. And at some point, maybe a year, maybe five years down the road, some of the stuff we do today might be wrong and we'll have to unlearn it, relearn it, continue that cycle and continue to evolve and adapt on that. So I love the brain. And I think that the brain is the final frontier. I'm thoroughly convinced that it is one of the only frontiers that we can truly, truly try and pursue and master at some point. That's going to take a lot of research, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of really digging deep and challenging our own beliefs. But I think that there's a way for us to do it. And that's what really intrigued me about this whole idea of life is the fact that not only do we all have a unique brain, but I don't have to understand all the connections, the nuclei, the neurons, all the pathways in order to change my brain. I just literally have to change a habit and I can genuinely change my brain for the rest of my life. And I think that's a pretty powerful way to live. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, right? And uh, a lot of it resonates with what people will have heard on the show before, right? Like, if you want to change the way you think, you got to change the way you act in a way and start these new behaviors to give you new information to start processing a different perspective. And so talk to listeners a little bit, maybe who mightn't be as familiar with your work in neuroplasticity, or what are some of the misnomers that people probably need to be aware of about this space? Especially because I think a lot of the techniques you use in your own practice as a doctor in this space is probably not what everyone or maybe even the industry would advocate for. So share a little bit of what you're doing to sort of bring some of this to life to people. Yeah, we opened up that can of worms. I love that. So first and foremost, I think one of the biggest limiting factors that we have just as humans is really our mindset. And I've been getting into a lot of research, just uncovering and and really looking into behavioral psychology or behavioral economics. So Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky are two really well-known Nobel laureates who did a lot of research in this space. And so they were psychologists who got the Nobel Prize in economics, which is unheard of. And it's really interesting because what they dug into was the economic theory Classic economic theory states that humans are rational. You know, if you have a t-shirt and the t-shirt costs $12 and you have that exact same t-shirt, exact same quality, and that t-shirt in another store costs you $8, well, you're going to go buy the $8 t-shirt. Of course you will. But what they found is that in some situations, specifically based off of how we frame problems in society, even just online, or even just with, you know, preface in an email, different perspectives will be made. And different decisions will be made based off of that information, even if the outcomes are exactly the same. So here's an interesting caveat. We have the exact same stimulus, but our brains perceive it in different ways. This is classically what happens with individuals who have concussions and brain injuries and some sort of physical, mental, even perceived traumas is the real world hasn't changed, but our perspective and our perceptions of the real world have. And clinically, this is something that's very relevant to me. I've played contact sports for most of my life. And, you know, being five, 10, a buck 40 in high school, I was pretty easy to throw around. So with that being said, I understand what it's like to be, to have my bell rung once in a while, right? So my whole passion for this has really been, well, what can I do to help my brain stay active, stay fit, be the best brain that I could ever possibly imagine? More importantly too, what can I do to help other people get theirs back? How can I metaphorically help people to update their software structurally, neurologically, nutritionally, From a business standpoint, how do I get 
business owners and entrepreneurs to take their game to the next level. From a future parenting standpoint, how can I help maximize my ability to be successful in my personal life? Things like that. And neuroscience doesn't discriminate. And that's the beautiful part of it is it will always be there because it's what allows you and I to be doing what we're doing right now, which is thinking, moving, and, and having a conversation. Go have a conversation with a cadaver that has all the muscles, all the joints, and all the tissues, and you won't get very far because they don't have an intact nervous system. And I think we take that for granted inherently about how powerful and impactful our brain is. So from a standpoint, clinically, I've spent the last eight, almost nine years working with nothing but complex neuro cases. So concussions, brain injuries, TBIs, vertigo, neurodegenerative diseases, things like that. And this all circles and surrounds one concept is how can we change the brain? And this involves so many different modalities, you know, light, sound, smell, taste, nutrition, diet are so important, sleep, just mentality, psychological components. More importantly too, how do we help maintain our structure? How do we get an exercise? How do we implement some of these things that are really well proven and have been around for decades? They're not just the fads. They're not just the green tea extracts that come about and come and leave within the same year. These are really well tried and true therapies and modalities. More importantly too, we're finding out a lot of information about what happens to the brain, how impactful the brain can be changed and modified just based off of our environment. And that's really what we do as kids as well, is as a child, we base milestones off of motor milestones. These are physical yeah. movements of development, of having tummy time and you know laying on the back and developing core musculature, going from crawling to walking to standing and all of these different components. And I think inherently, once again, we take this for granted about how impactful it is. That's why movement will always be the language of the brain. And there's a reason why when astronauts go to space, they can't stay for very long. It's because they don't have this constant gravitational force being exerted on their brains and bodies, which is continuously activating our brains and bodies, even when we're asleep. So movement is one of the simplest, most easiest things that we can do to help ourselves update our software. Yet I saw a stat, I think 75% of the American population doesn't get enough exercise in their daily or weekly routine to even get to the baseline minimum of what they should be getting. I mean, take a look at the brains and the decisions we make as a result of that. And you start having these issues and these problems that we continuously come up with within society. So I look at my role both in the clinic and with the companies that I'm a part of as I want to be the ultimate neuroplastician. How can I help people change their brains for better and not for worse? And do it in a way where we'll have a sustainable impact on their quality of life, personally, professionally, emotionally, psychologically, in all aspects. And, and that's really what I'm passionate about now is moving from the clinic to the business world and saying, how can we help create people-first companies that have a mission and a purpose that is so much bigger than the individual themselves? Yeah, no, this is super fascinating, right? And even as I hear you talk about the idea of movement, and as we're all sitting here for the last 18 months, like hunked over computer screens, like staring into a screen for like 12 hours continuously, right? So one of the reasons, one of the first things I always aimed for was to have a standing desk. I, for me, like I just knew, and not scientifically, just like from my own experience, like when I stood up for presentations, when I stood up for meetings, like I just performed better, right? Like there was more a movement energy within me, right? And I've noticed just the, you know, from sitting down all day, like what, how that 
slowly just sort of erodes any creativity that I have, but also energy too as well, right? But what I hear as well with you is that that's just one building block of a much bigger system of everything that goes into it from your diet, from the environment you're in, from exercising to what you start to think of yourself as a sort of system in a way and designing all the components to work to get the best out of yourself and to help people who are not in great situations recognize that there is a system in place and they can actually influence things by not necessarily just having to medicate themselves, but there's actually, or to have surgeries or to have, right, that there's ways to sort of build yourself and the person you want to be by taking lots of small actions across the board. So please elaborate a little bit more on this because it's fascinating to me, but I'm just more fun about all the companies we're going to build in this space to actually like help <laughs> help people go through this process. So. Yeah. I think one of the downfalls that we have put ourselves in psychologically is that there's only one answer or there's one magic pill or there's one magic therapy, one magic doctor, one magic, whatever it's going to be. And, and that really limits our capacity to see beyond our biases of beliefs. And which inherently comes to the conclusion that there is no one magic bullet. There is no one magic pill. There's no magic surgery. There's a time and place for all aspects of medicine. And we need to respect that, especially coming from different fields, different backgrounds. We need to understand that having those conversations are so key and so crucial. We need to be open and aware about benefits, risks, things that are going well, things that aren't going well. And then more importantly, take that information and create something even better. The whole conversation around talking about mainstream medicine, alternative medicine. I mean, there's a reason why we do double-blind placebo-controlled studies. We want to find the, the true cause and the correlations and hopefully causations for things that we're looking deeply into. The problem with the brain is that it's not binary. It's not one, zero, one, one, like your laptop. And there's a good reason for that is because it's far more complex than that. We inherently can do so many more things in far less time because of the machinery and the capacity that we have neurologically. That's beautiful. And that's what allows us as humans to continue to evolve and grow and adapt and create new companies or create new concepts or create new movements. And I think that's beautiful inherently. We need to kind of shy away from this binary thinking and we're so polarized. And this isn't even political. It's just even in our thoughts and where we're at with how things are, how they should be. One of the things I'm excited about is I'm not going to be living in the States for much longer. I'll be living in the UK for the next two years of my life. I have so much to learn. I have so much changing of my biases and beliefs to experience. And I can't wait for that because I'm open to it. I'm excited to know what I don't know. And I'm excited to learn what I have no idea I didn't even know. And I think there's something inherently beautiful about that because I'm always continuously evolving and growing and hopefully becoming a better version of myself. One of the most interesting components of where we're at today with understanding the brain is looking into the gut microbiome and understanding this significant correlation between the health of the gut is equal, if not directly correlated with the health of the brain and vice versa. It's this massive two-way street. So you take a look at the food that you put in your body as the raw materials to help you rebuild the house, which is your brain, your body, muscles, joints, and all that stuff. Well, garbage in equals garbage out, right? Oh, yeah. Do you want to be stacked full of Doritos or would you rather be stacked full of high quality protein, good veggies, good fiber, things like that? And those who struggle with their health know the impacts of some of these components. 
and regardless of whether or not they've looked into them, people know some things don't make them feel better. Some things make them feel worse. People know the impact that poor sleep has on their quality of life, their emotionality, their stability cognitively. And so this isn't really anything breakthrough or new. It's just we're understanding how impactful this stuff can really be, especially on the brain. High quality sleep, just physical movements, nutrition, even just simple things that we take for granted, like having quality conversations with loved ones. There's some great studies coming out now about longevity and quality of life. And it's not that nutrition or sleep or exercise are the most impactful, although they were up there. The number one thing that they found was that people who have high quality relationships Relationships. and social interaction have the highest quality of life scores of anyone else in their respected world or country population, wherever you want to call it. That's powerful. We're social beings. And we always have been and we always will be. And I think we forget that we're still dealing with a million-year-old brain stuck in the 21st century that's never encountered social media, continuous Zoom meetings, sedentary lifestyles, artificial sweeteners, dyes, and all these things we have that are, that are commonplace here. So I'm really excited to challenge that. And I know that there will be people who will disagree with me, and I can't wait to talk to them because the best part about that is hopefully we can both learn from that conversation and maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. To me, I don't really care. I just want to continue to pursue the truth. That's yeah, awesome. You know, it's so much of what you're saying like resonates massively with me. First, like I have Crohn's disease, first off, right? And that has severely impacts my diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, you know, for many years, I did not pay attention to like really thinking about building a system around me for me to get the best out of what I have, right? And sure. now it's funny as I... Later in life, maybe I've matured. Maybe I just have turned down the volume of the fun I was having. Who knows? But I'm so aware of the things that are part of my system or routine that have such a profound impact. Like sleep is a massive one. If I don't get seven or eight hours sleep, I just notice how I am, right? Or how poorly I am. But I notice when I eat poor food, I was traveling, especially in the good old days of like jumping on planes all over the place. Just naturally, you're eating lesser quality of food or you, you make excuses as to why you're going to have a cheeseburger while you're running between airports, right? And I just became very aware of these things, journaling, like making myself aware of my behavior. And then like looking back on when I was, as you say, putting better stuff in, better stuff seemed to pop out. But I also love the idea of pairing this again with as you say, the social connection part that is so important. Because when we hear about longevity now, all we hear is like science, science, science. You can live live as long as you want, take these pills. But actually, the thing that's, that matters is the quality, not necessarily the length of life. And, and we see this as well in, in many different fields. Like one of the companies that we're doing prehab, which is specifically designed around helping people rather not when they hit rock bottom, but when they have these dips to sort of become aware of the dip so you can take the corrective action well before you ever end up at sort of the end of the road, which might be in rehab and poor effectiveness that rehab even as a intervention has, right? And bringing, solving the problem much earlier in the piece than when we can. I think all the work you're doing in this space to identify those things and start to take corrective action so either you have a longer, better life from today onwards rather than sort of ending up 
on the operating table saying, sure, Barry, we can, you know, give you a hip replacement. It's going to work for seven years. You might be able to hobble around, so go have fun. And I think all of these things sort of play into each other. So can you share a little bit more then for yourself then about like some of the examples that really interesting for you, right? The specific problem domains you see and want to try and have some interventions in and maybe some of the companies we're going to build even to try and tackle those areas. Absolutely. Why well, you, you bring up the first one, and I think this is one of the most important ones we're going to start with, is prevention, right? How can we prevent people from digging their own grave? How can we get people to realize that the decisions you make today can have consequences down the road? And my patients know this, you know, their health is a daily decision. It will always be a daily decision. Yeah, you can maybe have one cigarette and not die, but it's not the first cigarette. It's the thousandth. It's the ten thousandth. Yeah, you can go out and have a cheeseburger and fries and have a great ale. And I'm okay with that. But if this becomes a habit that you do day in and day out over and over again, that compound effect, right? That great book that Darren Hardy wrote about, which is how your habits, your lifestyle, your choices continue to manifest to down the road. And the hard part with our thinking as humans is we think linearly, we don't think exponentially. And that's kind of where people struggle financially too. Well, why would I put a hundred bucks today, tomorrow, even next week, next month, next year, I only got 8% off that investment. I have eight more dollars. Does that really matter? Well, it does because over time, it's compounded 30, 40, 50 years, you're, you're going to be pretty happy you put that money in the bank, right? And that's the same problem we find ourselves with psychology too. So getting people to be proactive, not only in their health, but you know, even just creating a lifestyle that, that will facilitate maximal growth and maximal productivity. I know people who can put in an eight-hour workday in three hours because they are so efficient with what they do with their tasks, how they manage their time. They crank out work and they've got three, four hours to go hang out with their kids, go for a workout, go for a run, take a long lunch. Maybe they just do that work and now they've created the four-hour work week that Tim Ferriss talks about. <laughs> there are ways to do it. And I would argue that most of the people who are on that level are just going to continue to work because they know that they can get more and create teams faster and stronger, which is something that we want to do too. But it all comes down to brain capacity. And so uh, initially, preventing people from doing that is important. And one of the big things that we've realized with COVID is mental health is really, really, really poor in the United States and especially around the world too. The relapse rates for people going into rehab, physical rehab itself of inpatient rehab are anywhere from, I think it's 90 to 97% relapse rates. Meaning wow. that at its best, 10% of those people will go into rehab and come out and be overcome with their addictions. Now, one would argue, what does success look like days, weeks, months down the road, You know, 90 days, 180 days, full year, all that stuff. Those are important factors that we have a trouble quantifying. But our ability to get people off of substances and getting them to have a purpose in life and getting them away from these addictions is horrible. It's horribly astounding to think about the rates that we have in the United States. And this isn't a big problem. It's been a problem for a long, long time. We've primarily gone to using medications and using different types of psychotherapy to battle this. Now, it's not that those are wrong. It's just that there may be other things to use in adjunct with that to get people to make better choices, have better decisions. Maybe they need a different social circle. We know how influential outside influences can be. 
You know, there are so many components that go into this. And one of the things that we've realized with some of the early research that we've done is that when you're on the early fringe of thinking that you have a problem or you have an addiction to something, the last thing you want to do is to go talk to somebody about it. A lot of people will try and problem solve these things on their own. And so creating a confidential web-based application that can help people manage this or at least get quality feedback, keep them accountable, set goals, establish their values. These are things that can have vast impacts on our personal psychology and the creation of habits. And I know that you know BJ Fogg's work very well. And so just creating these simple, simple, low threshold habits can have a very significant impact long-term. Whereas you start with one habit, you start habit stacking over time. Now you're doing things that you have no idea where they even originate in the first place. And that's the beauty of the brain is once again, you are just laying down new neural networks, new pathways, and you are just facilitating long-term potentiation and growth of those pathways to now where you have just become a different person. And that's what people are striving for all around the world. And so mental health is something that I'm very passionate about. I have family members, friends, colleagues, you name it. We've all probably seen it or been affected by it in some way, shape or form. And inherently too, the psychological well-being of people carries over and manifests to physical well-being of people. How does diet and nutrition play a role with this? And even just getting into the conversation about longevity is really important because yeah, we are living longer, but we're also living longer with more pain, more disease, more chronic healthcare costs, which really take a significant toll on the quality of life of people. I don't want to live to be 90 and struggle the last 30 years. I'd much rather be going after life, accomplishing things and creating a beautiful family and living as long as I can by being independent and doing what I need to do. And yeah, maybe that's selfish of me not being around for great grandkids or things like that, but I would hate for them to see me in a state where I'm incapacitated and I can't function to just do what I would like to do, which is have a conversation with them, enjoy it. And so we're really challenging and trying to change the way that we look at health and wellness and medicine in general. And inevitably that comes to challenging beliefs that a lot of people may carry, traditional beliefs, alternative beliefs. I don't think you can cure people with giving them essential oils. I think there's a lot more to the story. And so we have to challenge that. In that realm, there will be people, once again, who disagree with us. And I'm excited to learn from them and see why we disagree with them. And more importantly, to take individual perspectives from people who are trying to serve, companies that we're trying to build, and really get massive feedback from what people want. And then we create it. There's no point in you and I trying to reinvent the VCR if nobody wants it back, no matter how much VC funding we get, right? Now, if there's somebody out there who thinks the VCR should come back, we should have a real conversation about it. But I don't see any feature in it. So let's save our money, save our finances, save our resources, and create people-first companies who are truly going to have an impact on the quality of life of people who use that product, but then exponentially to the ripple effect. Changing one person's life could have exponential outcomes as a whole. And I'm excited to see that manifest with what we're doing with the studio, with what we get to create with the companies that we're going to be involved with. Yeah, no, it's inspiring stuff to hear you talk about it as well. I keep thinking of um, one of the companies I worked with called American Specialty Health, and they specialize in musculoskeletal issues, especially with people with their back right? And again, back surgery is one of the least effective surgeries, but one of the highest elective surgeries that people go for. Mm. Because it's, again, I think it's a great example of this sort of, I have have descended to such pain. The only way to save me is like fuse my vertebrae together. That's going to fix it. And like, 
you're talking like one or two percent of people are alleviated as a result of that. Like the actual paths that the science and the research papers show is that it's actually through coaching, it's through rehabilitation, it's through exercise, but it's the longer difficult path when you've got so far down the dial, right? And but that's what's going to get you back is these small little improvements from stretching, from exercising to losing weight to which are all these small little things, but the compounding is phenomenal. And then the other point I think you mentioned as well, and I think this is really important for people through COVID and mental health and these sorts of moments. We are surrounded by so many people who are struggling. And even for ourselves sometimes to recognize like, when is the first little moment we have to struggle? And to have a place where you can actually talk to somebody about that like course correct when you're like having a bad day and you're like, God, that was a bad day. God, didn't get this done. Something didn't work out. But some of us are lucky, as you say, who have personal connections. They can ring up their friend and talk to them about, oh, I had a bad day at work and this annoyed me. Or it sort of course corrects. It, it alleviates the pressure. It doesn't make it become a negative compounding loop. And I think when people don't have that outlet, that's what starts this sort of vicious cycle. Right and, well, it's and, powerful. And it's oh, so it's powerful too. And unfortunately, for better or for worse, with the advent of social media, we have been surrounded by so many opportunities to manifest relationships. And depending on how you use social media platforms, that can be for better and it can be for far worse. The comparison game, the ultimate factor of is this fake or is this real? Why don't I look like that? How do I become this person that I want to be? When you realize it's all a facade in the beginning. And so... I think that there's an opportunity for us to use these social networks in very beneficial ways. Our relationship is one of them. I mean, we've connected through so many different channels and finally got to finally meet and spend time together and and learn from each other. And it's been powerful. I'm so grateful for that because living in the Midwest, I'm connected with people around the world who I would have never had the opportunity to meet or greet or encounter outside of us being able to connect on different platforms. So I'm optimistic on that front. I just think that there's a lot of kinks that we need to work out. And we really need to ask the big question, which is, how is this impacting our psychology forever? How are we truly changing people's brains in the long run? We're now having issues with kids who have no social skills, no ability to connect with kids who are physically in front of them. And so if you can't connect and you can't communicate effectively, how are you going to create this inner circle of trust and Trust real people versus an instant message conversation. There are so many things that go into it. And it's a deeper, deeper conversation than the one we're going to have here. But I think exposing it is important. I think one of the other pieces we brought up too is just how impactful people can be around you. So, you know, you are the summation of the five closest people around you. I really, truly believe that. And as the older that I get, the more that my inner circle closes and gets smaller and smaller. There's always new people coming in because. I've set my life up this way where I'm always trying to meet people who are smarter than me, who are funnier than me, who are more educated, who are more knowledgeable on topics, things that I'm not even passionate about, where I'm like, I didn't think Australian history was that interesting, but now I do. Like, you know, you can change people's interests with conversations. And I think it's important for us to understand and internalize the decisions that we make on a daily basis will have consequences. And that's for better and that's for worse. Same thing with the brain. The reason why I love neurology is that it's not a technique, it's a philosophy, and it's a critical thought process of understanding how and why we do what we do. 
And there's no stop game to that. This is not a finite game, as Simon Sinek would say. This is the infinite game. We're continuously pushing the envelope to figure out how to conquer and optimize human capacity by changing the brain. And changing the brain can change lives. If we truly own that message, if we truly own that phenomenal foundational perspective right there, all the companies that we create, all the people we get to help, all the impact we get to have is always going to be for better. And my legacy that I want to leave is something far bigger than me, which is why I love being a nobody, is I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the movement that we've created and the people we've been able to help. I don't care if anybody knows my name. All I care about is that people feel the impact of what I've been able to be a part of as a team, as a culture, and as a community within the studio and with whatever aspects of life I get to enjoy. So this is far bigger than any one of us can conceive. And that's what's beautiful about us. We get to be a part of that conversation and have a seat at the table. And that's when things get fun. Yeah, they do get fun. And there's nothing more fun than having a great name like Dr. Eric Reese as well. Like, I now know that you are the real Eric Reese. I love hearing Eric Reese is going to have a lot of interesting conversations with you about that. And I can't wait to hear the outcome. Yeah. At some point in time, my leading theory is that our families came from the same country and either mine changed their last name spelling or his did. And we're weirdly related. We're cousins. I have no idea, but I look forward to meeting the real Eric Reese one day. I'm sure he's saying the exact same right now as he's listening to the show. And just then in terms of like helping people get started with this, right? I think, you know, you've given some really great perspective about how our brains operate, how important it is to put systems in place, to be constantly thinking, as you say, it's an infinite game of how we keep course correcting every day. What are some of the uh, little tidbits you could give people as listen to the show now and are like, I actually want to go make some changes. I need to do some things differently. What would be your suggestions to help them get started? Yeah. I think my first one would be just start where you are. Every year, Jan 1st, people are signing up for New Year's resolution packages and getting to the gym and starting meal plans and all this stuff. And it just becomes way too much. I think by the second week in February, something like 80 to 90% of those who laid New Year's resolution aspirations or goals are essentially gone or limited or even just completely just scratched. So we're clearly doing something wrong. Let's change, let's change that outcome. So what you need to do is you need, first and foremost, you need to start where you are. Let's say you're somebody who gets a decent amount of sleep. Diet could be a little bit better, but you're not exercising. Well, wake up in the morning, go for a walk. Just go for a five minute walk. Or if that's even too much for you, use some of the concepts that that BJ Fogg created. So, and James Clear talks about this in his book, Atomic Habits, which is, you know, let's say you want to go to the, go to the gym, you get your membership. That's fine. But you wake up in the morning and you just have your gym clothes there. So you just put them on and then you take them off and then you go about the rest of your day, right? A really low threshold. You put the clothes on and that was enough. The next day, maybe you put the clothes on and you put your gym shoes on and then then you take it all off, right? So as you slowly go, you're slowly implementing things that you've done before that are really simple and really easy. By the time you actually get to the gym, by the time you touch a treadmill or you start doing weights, you're already doing these habits, these simple cues, these simple actionable steps over and over again to the point where you realize it's not that impactful on your day and it's not that difficult to do. Over time, you just start forming the habit. 
the beautiful part of the brain is it's so efficient, right? So you're not sitting upstairs in your prefrontal cortex, always having to download this information and think about it and overpower it. Your subconscious and these lower areas of the brain can really help you with creating these habits. And so habits really lie in this area of the brain called your basal ganglia. It's metaphorically the brake pedal, gas pedal of your brain in some way, shape or form. And that's not the full story, but it's easy enough for people to kind of understand this perspective. When you start lighting up these lower areas of the brain, lower areas take over because the higher areas are responsible for creating new thoughts and beliefs and challenging those things and drive motivation, right? So giving us the humanistic component. But we forget that there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't have to think about. When was the last time you thought about balancing your blood sugar or firing a specific postural muscle to keep your head up so you can continue working on your laptop? Probably never. And if you have, then we need to have a real conversation about that. Right? <laughs> That's a very good thing. So your brain's kind of built like a house. And the first thing we would do if we decided to build a house is we'd build a really stable foundation. We'd use great concrete, great beams, great structural work. And we put things down there that we don't want to think about what we really need. So that's plumbing, heating, sewage, electricity. Same thing for your brain. Same thing for your body. That's heart rate regulation, blood pressure, digestion, autonomic function, blood flow, you know, oxygenation, these things that we take for granted until we lose them. And on top of that, you start building those stories and those layers on top until metaphorically you get to the third story, the VIP suites, which is where we all live cognitively. Well, there's a lot of systems and a lot of machinery going on behind the scenes that we don't think about. And that's where habits come into play is when you put a habit on the spotlight, the brain shines on it and says, how can we optimize this or improve it? Over time, when you start doing that, the spotlight starts to go away. And now maybe the spotlight's focused on another habit or another technique, or maybe it's a new love in your life, but now you're just occupied on that. There are things the brain will always evolve and adapt to, but you want to form foundational habits. And so the first thing is you have to start where you are. The second thing is you have to be willing to change the habit. If you know that your diet is not as good as it could be, yet you're unwilling to shop differently, you're unwilling to stop eating out, you're not unwilling to go change your grocery routine then I can't help you, right? So maybe in that capacity, maybe it's time for you to hire a coach or a mentor or somebody to get you through those stages. And there's a reason trainers in the gym will never go away. People will always need that motivation. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I would say is you have to start small. Great ideas. And Barry, this is something that you wrote profoundly about in your book, Unlearn. You have big audacious goals and big ideas, but you have to start small because you have to litmus test what works and what doesn't work for you. And let's say you start out with the gym and you like the treadmill, or let's say you start at the gym and you try doing weights and you hate weights. Well, then don't do them. Do something else, right? I'm a big fan of weightlifting. That's my bias, that it's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the shortest amount of time. And there's good research to back it up, but someone can argue against that, I guess. You just have to start small and you have to be persistent with it too. And it's okay to skip a day, but don't skip more than one. And if you go down that path, Whatever habit it is, whether it's working out, nutrition, sleep, meditation, or even journaling, you will find success and you will find that things get easier and easier over time as things do in life as well. So take the plunge and get after it and don't be scared to ask for help. I think that's one thing that I've realized throughout my life is the more help that I've asked for, the more help that I've gotten. And more importantly, too, the faster I've been able to accomplish things that I've wanted to accomplish in my life. Well, Eric, just like listening to all of this, all those notes you're hitting. All I keep thinking about is how we're going to put all of that thinking, behavior, tips into amazing products that are going to help people improve their life, performance, productivity, whatever it means important for them. 
We've got our so work cut out for us. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be busy, but I'll tell you what, I'm excited to do and build those companies with you. It's fantastic to have you on the show. So many great insights for folks and uh, thanks very much for sharing them. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. And I love what you're doing. I love what you've attracted. And more importantly too, I love what you're creating. And I think it's important for us to realize that if you change your brain, you can change your life. And no matter what that looks like or how that looks, you possess the capacity to do that today, right now with who you are and where you're at. So don't wait and go after it. Right on. Love it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Barry.